once upon a time, there was a nation deeply divided. Two major political parties, very powerful, postured against each other, both believing what they were doing is right. And drawing all the people to their sides, they cast their nation into crisis. So divided and so much crisis was occurring that we see a development of a third group that shrinks away from all the division. And they create their own group. And they shrink back, they hide, they build up the walls. Does that sound like the year 2022? It's actually the year 33 AD. In 33 AD, right in the middle of the New Testament, we see two major political parties. They were also religious. They ruled the people and the nation of the Israel and the two largest factions, the two heaviest groups that difference with each other divided in what they believe were called the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And those two maintained so much control of the people and so much division that a third group originated and grew out of this, a group that we call the Ascends. The Ascends said, we're done with this. And they went off in the desert, started their own community. The Israelite nation, God's chosen people to draw all people to him, were not unified. And not only did their nation suffer, the world suffered because of it. And out of this we see the character of Saul, the person of Saul, the most influential, the most well-trained, and most motivated Pharisee. See, the Pharisees were really good at the law. The Pharisees even took the law to a, a further extension, and, and Saul was the most relentless oppressor using the law. Today we know Saul as the Apostle Paul. And Paul wrote this book that we're in today, the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, the book that we're studying together. Saul, who became Paul, Paul went on to be, he started as one of the major political dividers of a nation, and he became the greatest unifier of the people. And Paul's words in the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written to the early church in Ephesus, will help us today to navigate a very divided nation. Good morning. Great start, right? You always like it when it says, once upon a time, where are we going with this? Well, we're glad you're all here. Welcome, everybody. Um, to all the familiar faces, it's always good to see you. I just love celebrating the Lord's Day with you, and so does everybody else here. But to our guests, too, today, we're glad you're here also. My name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor. We're glad you're here. I also want to celebrate the Upper Deck people. Would you all cheer up there? The Upper Deck people, yay. Let's not forget their... It's hard to know those guys exist, but we always say, I love Upper Deck people, and baseball is my favorite group. But also those online. Thank you for those who are online with us today. Uh, for our guests, give me a moment with our guests. For our guests, we're just glad you're here. When you walked in, you got a worship guide. looks like this. On the back, there is an outline of what we're going to talk about as we go into the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. So turn there with me now. That's the book. So we're walking through the whole book of Ephesians together, all six chapters, but that form is in there. To our guests, too, we would love you to fill out this Connect card. We 
We would love you to put a name there. We'd love you to put an email address or a phone number. We'd love you to drop it in a box here before you leave or go out to our welcome center where we have a gift for you for just being here. But we would love, mostly, to connect with you and to say, hey, are you looking for a church home or is there anything we can answer about Westview? There's so much that goes on here, as you guys know, <laughs> that you can't see on a Sunday morning for just an hour. So all that's there, so we'll jump in there. Let's see, to those online, all this is on our, our Facebook Live page. It's also on our website. You have all this information connected right there too. So we are in a sermon series called One. Uh, it's a, going through the book, a letter to the Ephesians. The main theme throughout this book is peace and unity. And we thought, what a great time to go for this while we're looking at Paul's words as he writes there about what unifies the church and to avoid what divides. Now, we haven't talked much about what divides us till today, but let me give you a, a little summary of where we've been so far. Chapter one uh, was a foundation that Paul wrote here, and he said, we are united in Christ. That was the most important. We built a foundation that we're all united in Christ. And in chapter two, we talked about we're united in Christ's death. And, and that was just an interesting, interesting experience, but that's what brings us together is his death brings us together. And so you can go back and watch those if you missed those or online there or on our YouTube channel. But now we're in chapter three and we're ready to dive into this. And I already used a word that's a trigger word for everybody and that's the word, the P word, politics. And so before we jump into this issue, I think it's really important that we as, as a body go in prayer. And so let's bow our heads together and let's pray as we go into God's word together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this group, those online, those in the upper deck, everybody who's gonna receive this word from you that you inspired Paul to write so long ago, but still has so much merit and importance for us today. But Father, I did use that word, the P word, and it's a tension word. It's, uh, it's a word that has a trigger that many times maybe we already shut down in our soul and spirit when we hear that word. Holy Spirit, I just ask that nobody's, nobody's shut down as we go through this. But to see through the early church a way to deal with things that divide us. And so as we wrestle with this together, keep our hearts open. Holy Spirit, speak through me, speak to the hearts, speak in areas of the life that we need to change to be unified and be exactly what this world needs today. We lift up this time to you. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus and we definitely need the discernment and power of the Holy Spirit to shape ourselves. So let our hearts be moldable during this time. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. So let's jump right in. Ephesians 3, uh, starting in verse one, Paul's writing here, he says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. And as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. And as you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. So here we start off. Paul says, um, when I think of all this, I, Paul, it's really an ironic statement he starts out with. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. For the guy who's writing this, a prisoner who's thrown in prison because being, talking about the good news was the guy who used to be Saul that put people in prison for the very same thing. So there's just a lot of irony in his first statement. Why can one life change so much 
So he used to be Saul, the person putting Christians in prison. And so I haven't talked about this yet, but we went through chapter one and we went through chapter two. You see this words, these two words all the time, Jewish people, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. We haven't talked about it yet. I waited till this week to kind of talk about this. And here he is again, talking about just two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. So mostly we know what the Jewish people are. Uh, if we've been in the Old Testament, we've got a pretty good view of them. But who are the Gentiles? So here's, here's our first note together. The word Gentile means nation. That's what the word means. It means nation. And so Gentile, what's interesting, we look at this and you look at how Paul uses Jew and Gentile. Gentile does not describe a group of people as a nation. It describes what they're not. So Paul says there's Jewish people and then there's non-Jewish people. That's what a Gentile is. Everybody else that's not Jewish. So Paul always describes them in these two categories, Jewish and non-Jewish, or Gentile, which is all the other nations. For us, we'd be thinking, well, I'm American, and everybody else is non-American, or I'm Kansan, and everybody's like other people like Oklahoma. Can I bring that up today? Oklahomans or another? The, uh, the Jewish saw the Gentiles as unclean. They saw them as not worthy. They saw them as second class. God's plan, though, when we go through this whole book from the Old Testament on, starting with Abraham, was to work through the Israelite nation to draw all nations, all Gentiles, everybody else to him. That's been God's plan. And now God's plan through Jesus has a new direction. And Paul is the messenger of that plan. He says, I'm going to share with you God's mysterious plan. It's a new direction because of Christ. And Paul writes, he says, as you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan. And that's our hope today that we will see and have insight into what Paul wrote 2,000 years ago and how it impacts us today. So before I jump into this a little further, I want, I want to go back. In week one, I talked about when you go through the book of Ephesians, there's three major movements. There's wealth, wealth, and then there's walk, and then there's stand, are, are the three major movements of this book. So we spent the last two weeks talking about the wealth. When we are united in Christ, we are blessed all the way to the heavenly realm. When we're united in his death, we're blessed to the heavenly realm, all God's wealth that he pours on those who believe and are unified in the church in Christ. So this week we're moving out of the wealth and the blessing and starting to talk about, well, then how do we walk? If we're unified together, how do we walk together? And so that starts here in chapter three. How do we walk together in Christ? So, uh, let's jump back into verse 6 in chapter 3. Paul starts to reveal this. So this is God's plan, God's mysterious plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. So Paul says, here's the mysterious plan. Both Jews and everyone who's not a Jew who believe in the good news, what's the good news? Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is saving love for us will be unified as one and equal. So that's your second sermon. Here's God's mysterious plan. A unified body. And he 
he, he talks about there's three things, all in verse six. When we're united as one body, when we walk together as believers of the good news, which is what brings us together as Christ, when, when, when we do that, there's three things right in that one verse that happened. First, we walk together as fellow heirs. We're all walking to the same place. We're all walking towards eternity as one big family. The second thing is we're one body. We rely on each one of us being different and with all these different gifts to come together to form one body. Whether it's our skills, whether it's our gifts, whether it's our ethnicity, whatever that is, all works together. The more diverse we are, oh man, how more beautiful we are as a body. And then the third thing he says, we're also sharers in a promise. Together, equal, Jews and Gentiles, we are all sharers of the promises of Christ. The promises of what he's done for us, the promise of what he's doing in us, and the promise of when he comes back, what's ahead of us. Now what we gotta understand is to the Jews and Gentiles hearing this message in a very divided world, this proclamation of good news, this proclamation of God's mysterious plan was flat out earth shaking to them. We don't come together. We don't make one. We never have. They would say, no way! And Paul says, yes, the way <laughs> in Jesus. For only God can do this. And Paul says, not only that, can he bring us together and unify us, we will be one body, we'll be one new humanity. And there's a name for that new humanity. It's called the church. And Jesus says, I'm coming back for that new humanity. It's his bride. Every person in this room all you in the upper deck, all of you online, are part of this new humanity. And it doesn't matter where we come from, what our background is, what our ethnicity is, it doesn't really matter. Everybody in this room makes us more beautiful in Christ. So not only was this earth-shaking and shocking to the Jews and Gentiles to hear this message, what, we're coming together? But it also is shocking because it comes from the person of Paul. So let's go to verse seven, and Paul shares that. He says, by God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news, though I'm the least deserving. Of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Paul shares, he goes, I've been given a mighty task. Delivering the news is a mighty task. And I only can do it through God's grace and power. Nothing through what I do. And he shares, I'm the least qualified to deliver this message. Why? Why does Paul say I'm the least Qualified, And I think your next sermon note explains that. Because Paul once knew a politic of hate and power. Paul says, I'm least qualified because I come from a background of extreme hate and dark power. Paul once, as a Pharisee, he knew a divided world of religious politics. He knew the dark force of human power. He used the law 
as a weapon. He used the word as a weapon. The politics drove him to hate how much that he was responsible for the murder and imprisonment of this new group of people, this new humanity called Christians. And he was good at it. So much that when Paul's writing another letter to the church in Corinth, in his first letter, Paul writes, just write down in your notes, write 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Paul writes this, he says, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, I love that statement. And you know how much I love the word but. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, his grace. Paul, when he was Saul, and he was doing all this bad stuff, he encountered the risen Jesus who knocked Saul on his can and delivered him and overflowed him with grace and love, and that changed Saul to Paul. And Paul, who once used the law as power over people, found out this vital lesson. It's your next sermon note. That laws don't transform, Jesus does. Let me explain that. In the Old Testament, to be a good Jewish person in standing with God is you followed the law. By following the law and following the ceremonies and the ways of atoning for our sin, by following that, we were made righteous with God. So I would go and I would follow God's laws, and when I didn't, I would go and I would make a sacrifice for when I didn't. And how long does that last? About three hours on the way home when I say a bad word or something that puts me right back at the start again. And so they were made righteous by living by the law. But Jesus came to break the power of sin and our slavery to the law. The law doesn't save us anymore. Jesus does. The law doesn't transform us, never has. Only the love of Christ does. And that very love Jesus showed on a cross. And when he went to the cross, he paid the penalty so you and I, every time we sin or break God's law, did not have to start over. He said, let me take care of that once and for all. Important point here, Brian, are you saying that the law, like the Ten Commandments and how they've been expanded, are they not good or not necessary? They're absolutely good and they're absolutely necessary. The laws of our community and our legal system are very important for they establish the boundaries of our behavior. But they don't save us and they don't transform us. Paul changed from a politic of hate to a believer in the good news motivated by the love of Christ. And now Paul reflects on that. Let's go to verse 14. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him your roots will grow down into God's love and they'll keep you strong and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should 
how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, and then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So you notice this is the second time in one chapter that Paul says this. When I think of all this, it's how he started out. When I think of all this, and he's reflecting on his life massively changed in God through Christ, and he keeps zooming back saying, when I think of all this, what God's done in my life and what he's doing through the church, when I think of all this, I flat out hit my knees and I praise God And Paul responds in praise and worship and he's so excited. When I think of all this, when I think of God's mysterious plan that's now bringing together everything, he reminds us we are to be one, Gentiles and Jews. We're to chuck what divides us and we're to hold on to what unifies us. Now in this is a good number of steps or things to think about the church's posture to be unified in these verses. So here's your next note. Church unity includes a greater politic that is these things. Now, I'm using that P word again, so I want, I want you to pay attention here. These verses are not about politics. They're about the church. But the unity of the church is how we approach all things, including politics. So I'm choosing this to point out how do we respond to a divided nation over politics? This is how. Church unity includes a greater way, a kingdom mindset, what we would say is a kingdom politic that's much larger than our earthly politic. Church unity includes a greater politic that is first empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's right there in the first sentence. When I think of all this, the creator of everything on heaven and earth, I pray from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, be cautious of human power. Human power into our hands always tends to go the wrong way. The Holy Spirit power in us keeps us on the right track. If I bring to you both volumes of the history of Christianity since 30 A.D., you'll find out what human power does to the church over and over and over and over when we run with power in the wrong direction and we're not guided by the Spirit. So be careful of human power. But Paul shares the unity of our church can only come from the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the unifier in all of us. The second thing, the greater politic, is that we're all identified and unified in Christ, and that's it. We're all identified and unified in Christ. Our identity and unity are found in one thing, really one person, in Jesus. That's what brought us all here. That's why we're all in this room, because we're all unified in one thing. Do we have a different opinion of a many things, including politics? We do. But we can't lose track of our center. And not only are we identified and unified in Christ, our diversity as a church is what makes us so strong. The more diverse we are, the more expansive our church can be and the more things that we can do and accomplish through us. We'll talk more about that next week. And the third thing, not only does church unity give us a greater politic that's empowered by the Spirit, identified in Christ, this is the big one, unrestricted in love. 
Paul, if you read any of his letters, writes on God's love. It's the center of his character, not his power. The center of God's character is his love. Everything else courses out of that. Paul is the one who wrote 1 Corinthians 13. Every time you go to a wedding, you hear about love. That was Paul that wrote that. Paul says, to be unified in our church, our greater politic, when it comes to dealing with division in our nation, in our world, it's unrestricted in love. That's how we're different. Paul knew the power of hate and destructiveness. He knew it up close and personal. But he says, when we are transformed in new life by Jesus, there is a new power at work. Love is how the church is unified. Love is how we reach a divided world. Love is how we share the good news. That's the only conduit for all of it. Now I will say that I would believe a number of Christians today believe that this approach that I'm referring to and that Paul's written in the world of politics and division is soft. And I would offer that we are not asking our church to take the soft or easy path or not to stand up for anything when it comes to law or politics. But I will tell you what's soft and easy. What's soft and easy is to yell and get angry and take sides. That's the easy path. We are asking the church to actually take the hardest path. The hardest path is to love people even when they seem unlovable or we disagree with them. The hardest path is to unify and bring people together in the only person that can unite us in Jesus. The hardest path is written into our vision statement. Be bold. We're asking you to be courageous in a world that pushes back. We're asking you to love loud. We're asking you to fall right on the center of Paul's theology and God. It is love that breaks through all the noise and tension. It's love that brings the knowledge of a Savior. It's love that transforms us and heals us and grows us. And our last one's engaged deeply. We're asking you to take the hard path of walking with somebody and sticking with them and sharing life with them, loving them unconditionally, whether they come to Christ or not. That's not the soft route. We are giving you the hardest route. And we believe 100% in it because Paul backs it 100% up. Carrie Newhoff, a uh, pastor, writes a blog, encourages us a lot of days. He wrote this this week. I ran to this. He says, what if being courageous these days means becoming an alternative to the culture, not an echo of it? And I think we need to pay attention to this. The only thing we should be echoing is Christ's love in the world that's deeply divided. I want to remind us of Jesus' command for his unified church. Jesus gave us a command out of Matthew 28. We talk about a lot here. It's called the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations, including everybody not like us. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And I think what's important is look at the progression here. I think this is theologically important. Go. First, go. Go and love and reach the people that don't know Christ. Introduce them to a Savior whose love for them required his ultimate sacrifice. Go to all nations. Let no hate agenda stop you or I from crossing a line. 
And when Jesus transforms their hearts, baptize them and welcome them into the new community of Christ. Boy, do we celebrate that here. And Jesus will transform through the Holy Spirit their worldview. And when their worldview is transformed because of Jesus, they're ready to hear the commands that God's given them because now their worldview will understand and be open to the laws and commands of God. But I think there's a specific progression there that works. And in that rebirth, their new life will disciple them and they'll learn the law. These laws aren't something God created just to say, hey, do these things my way. These laws preserve the relationship between us and him and each other so we can maintain that love between all of us. We break those laws, it's gonna break those relationships. How do I know how do we know that we have a bad politic? I would say this. I would say when my politic becomes bad is any time that I use the word us and them or us or them and I follow it in my thoughts and actions. When our politic holds us back from the great commission, when our politic holds us back from the great commandment to love God with everything we got and love our neighbor, when my politic holds back from that, I have a bad politic. Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel is for everybody. And if we posture ourselves in politics, we will exclude about half of our nation. Make sure you hear me on two things today. Politics are an amazing part of our infrastructure as a society and they shape our laws and create the morality and the forms and the boundaries. They don't transform people, but they're very important. Stand up for them, vote for them. Politics and laws are not bad things until they're in the hands of bad people. That's a little heavy, but let's look at how Paul finishes. Paul's given this earth-shaking, mysterious plan to everybody and it's beautiful. So he finishes in verse 20. He says, now, chapter three, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or even think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, amen. What Paul's saying is in God's power and when we're unified in Christ, our socks will be blown off about what happens in and through our church. For several weeks, all the way through our mission series into this one, we've been showing you how God works through our church and that should be knocking our socks off because we're unified and we believe in his love is our conduit to reach the world. Last week, we showed you church planting going on throughout the world. There's no way I could have ever infinitely guessed God would do that through our church but he does. And we sat here and shared that one family we sent out to northern Kenya joined with the, with the people there and the Samburu people and in 14 years they've planted 61 churches. That's infinitely more than we could ever think or imagine. <laughs> to accomplish our mission, we need each one of us unified, diverse, and with boundless love, no restrictions. And our last sermon note reminds us of this. What we can accomplish together in him is infinite. 
when a, word, when, a, when a church reaches and brings together a divided nation, people will stand up and pay attention. They will glorify God in Jesus. It'll impact our city, our nation, and our world, and it'll be a wave of momentum for our kids and their grandkids, generation to generation 